It is so good to be in the room. We have the privilege, because of the hour time difference, of watching you online. And I get most of the sermon before having to go to church. Sometimes I have to listen a little later to it. But it is a real privilege for us to be here. We love this place. And thank you for being here on this warm summer day. Um, my son, who's the ultimate sermonator, has invited me into this series of messages on the proximity effect. Can you think of anything that would be better for us to do than to get as close to Jesus as possible? I mean, really? On the last Sunday of July 2021, is there anything that should command your attention more than just getting as close to Jesus Christ as possible? I think that's worthy of our time today. So let me start with a question. And this will date me some, uh, but I see a few others in the audience with a little snow on the mountain, so maybe you can respond in such ways. Uh, slip your hand up if you've ever heard of the song or the place, the little brown church in the vale, the church in the wildwood. Okay, several of you. Well, there is a real church. And it's in Nashua, Iowa, just a little ways from where I graduated from high school. It's just a little north and a little west of Waterloo, Iowa, where I graduated. And um, there really is a story attached to this. May I kind of summarize it for you? In 1848, some of the early settlers were settling in that location of Iowa. And in 1855, some of those settlers decided, we need a church. So they planted a Puritan uh, church, a congregational church in that area. Now, like a lot of congregations in those days, uh, certainly the one that was similar to one I served in Illinois, they met in barns and people's homes and out under trees for several years. Uh, somewhere in that time frame, when they were just meeting in various places, a man by the name of Dr. William Pitts, P-I-T-T-S, he was a music teacher, he was coming from Wisconsin to meet up with his fiancée in Iowa. And that particular location was where they changed the horses for the stagecoach. So while they were changing horses, the music teacher, Mr. Pitts, kind of walked down a little piece of the street there near Nashua, Iowa, and he noticed this little cove of trees, kind of the dale, the vale, and he thought, this would be a perfect place for a church. He was kind of inspired. So thinking of that in his head, when he got back from seeing his fiancée to Wisconsin, he actually wrote the lyrics to the little brown church in the vale. And he wrote the tune as well. But he had no context for it, so he just shoved it in his desk and totally forgot about it. Well, as time would have it, by 1860, now you might remember your history to know what started in 1860, but in 1860, a family in that Puritan congregational church gave the church a piece of property on which to build a church building. Well, guess where the property was? right there where Mr. Pitts had seen this little clearing in the area. And they began construction on this church, the little brown church in the Vale, 1860. But the war caused it not to be completed for four years. That's a long building project, you know. So 1864 would be the dedication of this particular church building. And in the meantime, Mr. Pitts had moved from Wisconsin to Iowa to be close to his wife's now parents. 
And it just so happened he heard that they were ready to dedicate the building. He couldn't believe it. He went back to that spot and the very place he had envisioned for a church building to be, he decided he would take out that song. So he grabbed it from his desk. He taught it to the children of the music academy where he was teaching and they sang it for the dedication of that church building in 1864. Can you imagine? That's really what happened. And I've been there. I've been to the little brown church in the Vale, but I made a horrible mistake one day. I said to my wife, do you remember, honey, when we went to the little brown church in the Vale? She said, I've never been to the little brown church in the Vale. I said, oh, you do too. Now, you know we went there. We went there, and then we had that picnic lunch, and we went down to the state park just a little ways from it, and we had that picnic. Don't you remember this? She said, I have never been to the little brown church in the Vale. And then it occurred to me, oh, that was that other girl. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, it, there is a, such a place. There really is. And you remember the lyrics of this. Uh, you know, when, when it, there's a church in the valley by the wildwood, no lovelier place in the dale, no spot is so dear to my childhood than the little brown church in the vale. Now, there's not enough theological content of that song to save a wet noodle. There just isn't. I mean, it's pure sentiment. It doesn't have any kind of substance to it at all. But it has one word in the refrain that I think we need today. It's the word come. Come. Come, 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 come to the church in the wildwood. Come to the church in the vale. We need that word come. You know, to a great extent, it's a, it's a wonderful word. Oh, sometimes mother would say it, you know. You come in here right now. And you knew when you got that, it was not going to end well, was it? But most of the time, it's pretty warm. Hey, George, why don't you get Ethel? We're going to put some burgers on the grill tonight. You just come on over. It's a word of invitation. And in this series of messages that Casey is in right now called the proximity effect, that's clearly the case. Come, chapter 4 of Matthew I'll make you fishers of men. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Today, one word to Simon Peter, get out of the boat and come. Next week, a wedding invitation, several times in that wedding invitation, parable of Jesus, come, come. In the little church we're serving now in Joplin, Missouri, where the average age is 142, we, we, we have... Um, <laughs> We're in a series on the book of Acts in the first 12 chapters. Going to spend several weeks in those chapters. I think the favorite word of the Holy Spirit is go. Go and make disciples of all the nations. But the favorite word of Jesus is to come. Because you can't go until first of all you come. And so the proximity effect has to do with that. And I want to take you to our text today. If you have your Bibles or your devices, turn to Matthew 14. As you know, in this series of messages, they all come from Matthew. You're looking at Matthew these days. So Matthew chapter 14, we'll start in verse 22. But to kind of set this up, I'd like to take you kind of on a pictorial uh, journey, if you will. Because I want you to make sure you know where we're talking about. Here is a map of Galilee. And you'll see that wonderful lake there, 654 feet below sea level, about 13 miles or so long, six miles or so wide. But up in the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee, see where the red dot is? Somewhere there, maybe just almost off the picture, is a place called Bethsaida Julius. And this is where, according to all four Gospels, buckle up, 
You don't say that very often. All four Gospels tell us of the feeding of the 5,000. And that's some place where it took place, kind of up in that area. And then what happened is that Jesus would dismiss the crowds and dismiss the disciples. He told them to catch a ride across the lake. Now, when your Bible talks about them going across the lake, they normally mean a taxi or Uber ride across the northern tip of it. Back and forth. Capernaum, back and forth, up there, beyond Gennesaret, and certainly beyond Magdala. But today, when you go there, you have to start out in Tiberias. And that's where you catch the boat to kind of go, that Roman city, ancient Roman, to out into the middle of the sea. Now, here's my point. A storm came up. I think the disciples were supposed to end up in Capernaum. But the storm blew them south. So Jesus walks on the water. And when you get in the boat in Tiberias and go out to somewhere there, John, you remember this, <laughs> They will cut the motors. And on that day, it's usually pretty quiet and so meditative. And you'll feel so in proximity to Jesus. But not that night. Storm-tossed night. And so just a few pictures for you to get your arms around. This one I took at 5 o'clock in the morning back in 2016. It was, uh, we were in a Tiberius hotel. And I just, I'm not much of a photographer, but I wanted to keep that one because it just looked important. And then when you would leave Tiberias, this is what you'd see, the little town in the backdrop as you go out onto the sea. Go to the next slide, if you will. It's somewhere maybe out here. That's looking more to the north and the east. Or maybe it would be like this. This would be looking more to the north and the west a bit. Just around the corner is Magdala. But maybe somewhere out there, do you suppose, that's where Jesus walked on the water? And I don't know who these people are. They just ended up in a photo someplace. But... Just some people, just some people. Now, I'd like you to read with me this text, chapter 14 of Matthew, beginning with verse 22. We'll give a little commentary, not much, as we read. Immediately, oh, that's Mark's favorite word. Matthew has adapted it, I guess. Immediately, Jesus made, it means to force and compel, the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed, the Greek word means to, to let go, to loose, the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. You know why he did? Because I think he was having one of the biggest temptations of his life. Not all the temptations took place in the wilderness by the devil. Sometimes they come through people. And they noticed what he could do for dinner, fish and chips. Wow. Wonder what he fixes for breakfast. And John 6, 15, Matthew, Mark, and John tell us this story. He says they wanted to take him by force and make him king. You be a Messiah like we want you to be. Hmm. You know what? He could have done it. But he knew better, so he needed a Heavenly Father sanity check. So he went to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Some of your versions will have footnotes, several stadia, three or four miles out. Beaten. It's actually a word that means tormented. Actually, this word is used of women giving birth. It's labor pains. Beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's a little bit more as I've gotten older, my restless time. My wife would tell you he's that way the whole night. But uh, that's a little bit more my restless time. Three to six, that's when I get up in that time frame. And so it's three to six o'clock or so. And 
they look out in the fourth watch of night and Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Don't run by that phrase. The Old Testament said that the God of the Bible is a God who's over the sea. That matters. But when the disciples saw him, well, what would you think? Walking on the sea. They were terrified. And you know what that means in Greek? It means terrified. <laughs> and they said, it's a phantom. It's a ghost. And Jewish legend was that if you saw a ghost, it probably meant you were going to die. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, there's that word again. Jesus spoke to them and said, it's okay. It's all right. Be of good cheer. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Literally in Greek, stop being afraid. And Peter answered him, did anybody ask Peter a question? One commentator said it never occurred to Peter not to say something. <laughs> so Peter's answering and nobody asked him a word. Peter answered, Lord, if it's you, now this is a conditional sentence in the Greek language that goes something like this. It's what's called, if, let's suppose for the sake of the argument, Jesus, it's really you out there. If it's you, I, I would like to come. And Jesus said, verse 29, are you crazy? Nobody's ever done this before. <laughs> no, what he says is, come. Come on. So Peter got out of the boat, oh my goodness, and walked on the water and came. That's the second time in this text the word come in some form will appear. Came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, I guess it means the effects, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, pretty short prayer, Lord, save me, gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, I, I like how the Matthew video series does this with Bruce Marciano playing the role of Jesus. Much better role than Days of Our Lives that he had. But anyway, um, he, oh, you... Bruce Marciano playing Jesus actually is laughing when he pulls him out of the sea. <laughs> oh, you of little faith. Why did you? I don't like the English translation doubt. I don't think it's right. They didn't doubt. This is the son of God. The Greek word means something more than the idea of hesitate. It's the same word used at the end of the book when after the resurrection, they gathered, gathered to hear the great commission and some worshiped and some hesitated before Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. So they hesitated, and when, they got into the, when he got into the boat, Peter and Jesus, of course, the wind ceased, which actually is a word that just means it just got worn out. And those in the boat worshiped him. By the way, in the Gospel of Matthew, that's often taking place. It's translated like to fall at his feet, or it's the idea of bow down in reverence, and they said, truly, you are the Son of God. It's quite a story, isn't it? Two full paragraphs for us. But here's the deal. There are only two people on the face of this planet that have ever walked on water. And it's Jesus and it's Peter. That's it. So how does this fit in with the proximity effect other than the fact that you have the word come in it? Can I put it in a sentence for you today? Here it is. Talk about this at lunch today. When faith overcomes fear, the impossible becomes possible. 
When faith overcomes fear, the impossible becomes possible. Now let me carve it into two parts for you today. Let's start here. God comes to us in our fears. Aren't you glad? God comes to us in our, isn't that the story of the Bible? Adam, Adam, wherefore art thou, Adam? God always comes to us in the midst of our fears. In this passage I just read, three times the Greek word phobos, from which we get our English word phobia, and one time for trembled, four times in this passage our attention is riveted to the fact we got fears. Anybody bring any of them in with you this morning? Anybody kind of concerned about finances these days? Pandemic made a job loss come your way? I don't know. I think Chapel Rock is like where I serve and a lot of other places. When we watch online, we watch how your elders get up here and give communion meditations, which are always so good. And the first thing they often say is, thank you for your faithfulness. Church giving in many places, not all, has been very good during the pandemic. I'm grateful for that. But um, maybe still in a group this size, there are people that lost jobs due to this thing. And maybe you're thinking, I don't know how we're going to pay this next bill. I, I, it seems impossible. Okay. How about relationships? We're kind of hanging out with our family these days. It's wonderful because Debbie's such a gracious host and we love seeing Casey and the kids. And, but not everybody has family. Some of you got a few Cousin Eddie's in your family, don't you? Uh, got a few Cousin Eddie's? You just think, good grief. Get in your RV and just go away. So sometimes relationships are just impossible. Dare I bring up the whole issue of the virus? You know, Joplin, Missouri is not all that big of a place, but we've made the national news several times lately. You know why? Because of the Delta variant of the virus. Branson, Missouri, Springfield, Missouri, and Joplin, Missouri have been three of the hottest spots just lately. Our, our ERs are full. Our COVID units are full once again. We thought we were through this. And there's a lot of people in our neck of the woods that are beginning to go, this seems impossible. Or maybe you're here this morning with an addiction that you don't think is possible for you to conquer. It's just too strong. I gave a book to one of our young men in the church the other day at Park Plaza Church, and I said, you need to read this because he struggles with an addiction. It's a book by a counselor in Denver named Michael Cusick. The title of the book is called Surfing for God, Surfing for God. It's all based on a quote by G.K. Chesterton that every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is really looking for God. I think Chesterton was right about that. But this guy's got an addiction. I heard him ask in Sunday school class. I'm kind of visiting the Sunday school classes since I'm new with this church. I heard him ask, I don't, is it really possible to live without sin? See, he doesn't think so. That's impossible. Well, for the disciples, what was impossible was not relationships or finances or pandemic or, you know, a, a, an addiction. What was impossible for the disciples was a real storm. Don't spiritualize it. Don't, don't get, I used to correct my students, don't give me this stuff about let Jesus in the boat of your life and let him calm your troubled waters. Stop that. This was a real storm. So let's just leave it that way. Here's the thing though. What they were going to find out was after fighting the storm for hours. I, I don't know when Jesus dismissed the crowds, but it was after dinner. And like a lot of Middle Eastern situations, dinner was probably late. 
And so I'm thinking that probably if they could be fighting this storm for three or four, maybe five hours. But here's what you got to understand about your fears. When you're at the end of your capacity, Jesus is at the beginning of his sufficiency. When you just about have exhausted your ability and your power, he's just getting started. So this hound of heaven, he just comes to him. And that's the way the story of the Bible is. I mean, one of our favorite teachers in the acapella churches of Christ is a guy by the name of Jeff Walling. Many of you probably heard Jeff preach before. He's so gifted and so good. I just feel rougher than a cob when I'm next to him. But anyway, one time Jeff preached a sermon just called Closer. Sound like the proximity effect? That the God of the Bible, this hound of heaven, is always just trying to get closer, that's all. He speaks to Adam, as we said earlier. Adam, wherefore art thou? He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day because he wants to be closer. So he tells Moses to build a tabernacle. Here's the recurring phrase in Exodus. Just like I showed you according to the pattern on the mountain. So do it right, Moses. Where did he put the tabernacle? Right smack dab in the middle of the people. I'll try to get my bearings right this time where I'm standing right now. So help me if I get this wrong. There were three tribes on the south, right? Three tribes on the north. Am I going right so far? Three tribes on the east and three tribes on the west. The Israelites were supposed to be around the tabernacle because God wanted that tabernacle right smack dab in the middle so he could be closer. Finally, Jesus himself comes and the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth and we beheld his glory. That's pretty close, isn't it? I mean, a God with skin on him, a God that comes to us in our fears, yeah. But in that same gospel of John, Jesus will say to the disciples, I have been with you, but there's coming a time when I will be in you. God through the Holy Spirit living inside of my physical body, that's pretty close, yeah. Not close enough. Someday he will split the eastern sky and he will come again. And that new heaven, new earth will give birth to a holy city coming down out of heaven as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then we will hear, behold, the dwelling of God is among men and he will dwell, tabernacle with them. What will it be like in the new heaven, new earth to take your lawn chair and sit down and have a chit chat with the God who created the universe? That's pretty pretty close, isn't it? That's pretty close. See, he always comes to us in our fears. And how he did it in this text, I love this. Three little lines. Jesus doesn't speak much in this passage. He says, oh, you have little faith. Maybe Marciano's right. Maybe he's laughing. He says, in other words, come. But three little lines. Take courage. Cheer up. It is I. Stop being afraid. Can I land on the middle one? Because the middle phrase literally in Greek is, I am. Ego me. Does that sound familiar in your Bible study? God called Moses at the burning bush. And Moses started offering up these excuses. I don't blame him. Well, who am I to deliver Israel? Well, basically you're nothing, Moses, but I'm going to help you. Okay. But if I go and I tell them that you sent me, they'll ask me your name. I don't know who you are, so what should I tell them? Do you remember how God responded? You tell them, I sent you. I am. 
Not only that, but this phrase also, I think, means something else if we allow the Gospel of Mark to help the Gospel of Matthew for just a minute. Because in Mark's account of this story, there's a very interesting phrase. And it's this, when Jesus walks out on the water into that lake of Galilee, Mark's account says he intended to pass them by. I've often wondered at that. Was this just to tease them? He's going to walk alongside the boat and say, hi. You know, I, I don't know how to interpret this exactly. Unless you think of Exodus 33. We were at Exodus 3. We might as well go a little later in the book. And Moses said, I'd like to see your kavod, your glory, your weighty presence, your shining brilliance. Because if I'm going to lead this people, I need some help here. And God says, it would blow your doors off. I'll tell you what I'll let you do. You hide in the cleft of the rock. I'll put my hand over your eyes. I'll pass by and you'll see my tov, my goodness. You can't see my face and live. It'd be too much. And God passes by. Do you suppose that's behind this here? That what Jesus is trying to do is to say, do you know who I am? Because when we get done with the text, what it said was, truly this is the Son of God. The story is that, the story of this sermon series is you need to get close to Jesus. Here's the good news of the gospel. He's already come here to get close to you. So what else are you going to do? I read about Dr. Samuel Weinstein. He was a um, pediatric cardio surgeon from New York City. And he was on a mission mercy trip to El Salvador doing surgery, heart surgery, on an eight-year-old boy. It wasn't going well. The boy began to bleed profusely. And the parents, of course, were very anxious and fearful and worried. The other thing that complicated it was the boy had a very rare blood type. Some of you that work in medical practice, you know more about this than I do. But it was B negative. I guess a very few percentage-wise in the world people have B-negative blood. Very rare. But guess who had it? Dr. Weinstein. So he suspends the surgery. He goes into another room and he takes a pint of his own blood out, eats a Pop-Tart, and comes back in and resumes surgery and put his own blood in that boy. And the boy lived. Does that story sound familiar to you? About a great physician who took his own blood. God comes to us in our fears. But here's the other side of it. We come to him in our faith. That's the other side of this text. We come to him in our faith. Uh, I, I don't know about Peter, all the ins and outs about his life. Many times he takes a hard rap. Many times he gets whacked on the knuckles. But he's the only person that's ever walked on water besides Jesus. And say what you will about this guy. In that moment when Jesus said, come, and he got out of that boat, what was he trusting in? The eternal word of the eternal God of the universe. What were the other guys trusting in? A few boards held together by Elmer's glue. That's about it. Man, where is the line between faith 
and seeming stupidity. Well, let me tell you, it's pretty thin. Now, I'm glad when you come to Jesus, you don't have to kiss your brains goodbye. We need a few elders and deacons who ask the question, how much is it going to cost? We, that, th those are questions that must be answered. But sometimes to the watching world, it will look like we're idiots to do what we do and to believe what we believe. When Casey was 12 years old, we were invited out to speak at a church there in California, Huntington Beach, California. The preacher's office was just about six blocks from the beach, and he could pull back the, you know, doors and just get the ocean breeze. I felt the spirit calling me, but I resisted. Anyway, the, the bottom line was we'd gone out there to do this, and uh, this is 1988. The, the, the church building debt was $1,000 a day interest, 1988. That paid no principal, and they were not paying any principal. They were only able to pay the interest, about 600 people in the church. They weren't doing very well. I said to the youth minister, how in the world did the church get into this mess? He said, well, we had some church members or some elders didn't know the difference between faith and entrepreneurship. I said, well, okay then. But there's such a fine line. It's so difficult. In fact, we all know the rest of the story, do we not? Yes, Peter came in his faith, but how long standing was the faith? The text says, and when he saw the wind... Whatever all is involved in that, yes, we know he failed. But I like the picture that they're showing these days in Branson. Now, if you ever get to Branson, you must go to the Sight and Sound Theater. I think it's in the Bible. You have to go there before you die. But anyway, come to Branson. Go to the Sight and Sound Theater. Right now, they're playing the movie, just the play, Jesus. And if you Google, that's what you'll see. That's the trailer for Jesus at Branson right now where Jesus is reaching down in the water. If he had little faith, how much you got? I don't know that I would have had the faith to step out of that boat. I'd probably been like those other guys in the boat. But here's the good part. Jesus honors faith at whatever level it comes to him. He will honor it for sure. Maybe Peter knew that wonderful old proverb that we've quoted a lot of times. Trust in the Lord with all your might. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. There's a real good preacher and writer in Northern California by the name of John Ortberg. He wrote a book called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Gotta Get Out of the Boat. And he had nine lessons that he extrapolated from this passage. I don't have time for nine. I'm going to give you four of his nine, and then I'm going to add my own five. So here we go. We've got to walk out of here with something today. Let John help us. Here's John Orber. Water walkers, he says, must discern the difference between faith and foolishness, and it'll take the wisdom of Solomon to know how to do that. Faith and foolishness. Second, water walkers have to get out of the boat. There comes a decisive moment where you cross a line, you say, here's the divide, I'm going. I've seen a lot of people through the years unknuckle themselves from the pew in front of them and step to the front and announce faith because today was the day. Okay? There was a lady I called on the other day and she was going to have part of her lung removed in Kansas City a week ago. She's been part of a congregational church much like the little brown church in the Vale. And she said, I've never been baptized. I think I need to be baptized. I said, you know, I think that'd be a great idea. 
And she's young. She's only 80-something in our church. So got to make the step. Accept fear, says John, uh, John Ortberg, uh, that as the price of growth. If, if you're going to grow, you'll probably, there'll be some fear involved. I, I, I wasn't all that great of a high school student. I didn't know if I could cut college. I went to seminary. I didn't know if I could. I went to doctoral study at Denver. I didn't, everything I've done in life where I had, it was always with fear. Fourthly, he says, water walkers get a deeper connection with God. Let me ask you this question. Who was closest to Jesus in this passage? The guy that had been sinking. He had the greatest proximity to Jesus. So here's five of my lessons from this passage. First of all, I'd say this to you. Let Jesus comfort your fears. Well, when we sing these songs of faith in the worship service, some of them just speak to the heart. They comfort the fear factor. What Jesus say? Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, now believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not told, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. Let him comfort your fears. I've lost two very significant people in my life in the last two weeks. One was a 92-year-old elder that was in our church in Illinois. And one was Dr. Wayne Shaw of Lincoln Christian University. But I know they're clinging to John 14 more than anybody in this room. Let Jesus comfort your fears. Number two, risk reckless faith. It does seem reckless to the world, but Jesus will receive it. Number three, keep your eyes on the prize. It's when he took his eyes off Christ and noticed the wind, he got in trouble. Keep your eyes fixed like Hebrews 12 talks about. Number four, worship Jesus for who he is. This story isn't about Peter. This story is about Jesus. So keep the hero the hero. Worship him for he is. Lastly this, and I'm breaking my own rules here. I told preaching students for years, don't introduce things into sermons that you don't have the time to solve. But if you promise not to tell them, here's the fifth application. Jesus wants to work with you and me to tame creation. I don't have time to cover the theology behind that, but Romans 8 says the world is groaning. Do you believe that? Creation groans. The Holy Spirit groans. We groan. And when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, when we get close to Jesus, he uses us to tame creation. I'm not sort of a wide-eyed environmentalist. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm just saying that the goal someday is that there will no longer be any sea for the first world would have passed away. That's what he was trying to show us in part of this miracle. So let me say it again, and then let me add a little part to it before I close. Fear gets overcome by faith. Faith, when faith overcomes fear, then then the impossible becomes possible. But could I add one phrase to it? Here's that phrase. And it happens best by coming close to Jesus. If you go to Little Brown Church in the Vale, I'm going to take my wife there one of these days. If you go to Little Church in the Vale, there's a little stone, probably about the size of this cross on the table, a little stone with a little statement on it, right in front of the church building as you go in. And it says this, a short walk with a friend can take you a long way. Do you need to make a short walk today? Like up to the front here. Casey will be here, Fred will be here, I'll be here. Do you need to make a short walk? Maybe, 
Maybe you've been like Peter, you've had your eyes on the wind. And it's time to receive his big pull right out of the sea. Maybe for some of you, you're like the lady I called on the other day. Just a little ways from the church. Said, when I get back from Kansas City, I want you to baptize me. Maybe that's a step of faith today. Just a short walk makes a long difference. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you for this wonderful story in the Gospels. The faith of Simon Peter and his failure and his faith again to confess. And for the other disciples who would have a better day on another day. Lord, we just want to put ourselves at your disposal. We want to be as close to you as possible. So help us, Lord, today to to come, to accept your invitation to come and to come again and again and again to come. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask you as a congregation to stand on your feet just now? We're going to sing together. If you have a faith decision, bring it with you as you step to the front for us to greet you here.